chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And, and the it back. I'm, I'm a problem with soccer to be fair. Football. Welcome to House of Champions. James Bench, it is my pleasure to be joined by Mike Lahoud and Jonathan Johnson as we get ready for the Champions League final, the biggest game in all football, the biggest game in all sports. I'm going to say it, yeah. Who cares about a Super Bowl? which you can view on CBS <laughs> next year. Uh, do remember, please, if you're listening to us on the podcast, download, follow, like, give us those five-star reviews. It's great to help us get out there and get out and about among the wide footballing world. Mike Lahoud, Jonathan Johnson. Jonathan Johnson, I'll start with you. Champions League final, Istanbul. Getting hyped yet? I am. Uh, that might be uh, because I'm going to throw on a Turkish smorgasbord of snacks before the game this weekend. We but uh, <laughs> yeah. a, a lot of things, you know, we're going to have skewered meat, we're going to have those little yes. like squares cheese with the pastry, it. the spinach and the cheese in it, all of that, you know, fantastic stuff. Little, Can't look, little Turkish looking forward to, keep to it. If this goes to extra time, Ooh. love it. Yeah, well, just have to keep the oven uh, oven running. But not really looking forward to the game, aside from sort of my pre-match and post-game tailgate. Uh, it's, no, I mean, it, you know, it's going to be a fascinating one. And I think, uh, you know, a fitting way to, to end what's been another great and memorable season of European action. Mike Lahoud, what's the, uh, what's the snack plan in the Lahoud household? Uh, it's going to be a lot of liquids and liquids in the beer form. I'm going to be at my local, but JJ, I knew are I should have been looking. Are you not on the post show? Uh, I am actually. <laughs> Still be liquids. <laughs> It'll be liquids of the highest order. Maybe light version of that. Now I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be light on the Smithics because we do have the post show, the recap. Definitely got to be professional, semi professional. It is a Champions League final after all. JJ, I wish I was going to Paris. I wish I was going to your flat because man, that Turkish smorgasbord sounds just as good as this Champions League final matchup. Well, I'll be uh, I'll be locked in the office because uh, the other half is absolutely delighted that the season is nearly over uh, and I get my evenings back. So uh, at least until mid-July when pre-season starts. But before then, Manchester City into Milan. Let's start with some tea news. From Manchester City perspective, Mike Lahoud, it's as good as you could wish, isn't it? Kyle Walker missed out on training earlier in the week, but he says he's fine. Um, everything seems... All right for City, no other injury absentees, nothing to worry about. Everyone's in good form. Sounds pretty good. Well, everyone except, we'll see, everyone except their manager maybe. (laughs) No, Pep Guardiola, he has a blue machine going on on the other half of Manchester City. Everything has gone right. And the biggest difference that I've seen this year is keeping healthy players. This is a City team where a majority of their players went to the World Cup. And the, the biggest talent, the biggest player, and the biggest situation that missed out on the World Cup, and you're seeing the benefits of it in the second half of the season, Erling Holland looks fresh, he looks refreshed, and the rest of the team have really galvanized around him. Players from midfield, this is a City team that is showing that they are not just Holland-centric. They had to adapt to bringing in a central striker from a year ago. Now they have their talismanic figure in Erling Holland. And man, I could tell you as a United fan, watching that FA Cup where City looked like they were in just third gear, they're scary good. They're damn good and they're scary good. But it's still the Champions League final, James. 
You can't rule out their opponents. You can. Well, you've been you've been ruling them in. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> well, add, adding a, adding a little bit to your to your pre match confidence on the inter side of things. Uh, obviously, the the big concern coming into this one was Henrik Mkhitaryan and uh, and and his potential fitness. We know that he has a thigh injury. He's expected to at least be sort of fit enough, uh, you know, for some meaningful place in the squad, whether or not it's going to be good enough for him to start. We'll have to wait and see closer to the kickoff. Uh, but I think Joaquin Correa as well, who picked up a, a calf problem against uh, Fiorentina back in the Coppa Italia uh, final a few weeks ago, uh, he's also sort of in a similar boat where he should probably make it. It's not necessarily certain to be fit enough to start. So it seems to be, uh, you know, sort of a question now really of whether Inzaghi sort of sticks with Martinez and Dzeko or whether he, you know, throws a curveball and brings, uh, you know, Lukaku back in. We know sort of Brozovic kind of comes in and out of the, the starting eleven as well, depending on who's available. So, uh, you know, I think as well, the fact that DiMarco is left out of the squad completely uh, for the final game of the season against Torino shows just how important and highly he's valued by Inzaghi. I think he's the player who's probably impressed me the most uh, sort of on the mm. on this route to the final uh, or the, the most unexpectedly impressive player. But obviously that three-man defense is so key as well for Inter. I mean, I mean, I have to say, one of the things that is really exciting and invigorating about this particular final, even if it doesn't maybe seem like a match of equals like we've had in, in years gone by, I know, Mike, you might disagree in that regard. <laughs> But one of the things I really like about it is the sense that we've got two teams at the peak of their powers. Yes, Erling Haaland might be on a four-game goal drive, but that's not that big a deal when Ilkay Gundogan scoring braces for fun. I think it's something like Inter have won 11 of their last 12. The only game City have lost since February was a meaningless one against Brentford, having already won the title. So we've got teams at the peak of their powers, fully fit. This should be the best version of this Champions League final it can be. And... Mike, I know you disagree with me on this. I'm going to go to JJ. But, of course, hanging over all this, JJ, is the treble. Just got off the phone about an hour or two ago with a certain treble winner who may have been in goal for Manchester United back in 1999. Stay tuned to cbssports.com to hear and read some more about that. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it's perhaps... I mean, I think it's, you know, in any country, it's, it's a remarkably special achievement. But perhaps in in England where but there are so many teams always competing for the title and of course it's only been done once by the Man United team of 1999 this treble there's a mythical quality to it JJ would this be Pep's greatest achievement and let's not forget he's won trebles before with Barcelona he has swept the board before but you know where does this stand maybe against Barcelona in 2011 I think there's, you know, there's a lot of things that kind of factor into this debate. I do think that it would be Pep's greatest achievement, uh, certainly since then, uh, you know, because people have been talking about it for so long. You know, when when will Pep next make it into a Champions League final and then win it? You know, we've seen him get there a couple of years ago with City and then get beaten by Chelsea. We saw him sort of cursed as well with uh, with Bayern, uh, you know, getting to three semifinals and losing in uh, in all of them. But I think, uh, you know, to, to do it with City and this City at this moment in time, who could, you know, be on the, the brink of equaling history, uh, you know, sort of within their own right as well. You know, I think that makes it sort of that, that bit more uh, important and, uh, and and meaningful. And honestly, I think, you know, if, C if City were to do it, I find it difficult to see 
how much more Guardiola can actually, you know, do with uh, with, with City. I, I, I don't think it will get any better than uh, than this if they are victorious in Istanbul at the weekend. Uh, and you know, I think it's it's probably going to be one of those very liberating moments for for Guardiola if if he finally does get this victory over the line. Where you know, I think he he will bury that sort of nagging. Uh, you know, so suspicion that he, uh, or that that feeling, uh, you know, that that sort of eats into him when he gets to the latter stage of the Champions League and, and second guesses himself. And I'm curious to see if he's as sure in his selection of his starting eleven as he has been in some of the the recent rounds, where he doesn't even opt to make substitutes unless absolutely necessary. <laughs> I agree with you, JJ. I, I think this would be his crowning jewel and the biggest achievement of his career. And look at what he was brought in to do with Manchester City. It wasn't just to win Premier League titles and exert their dominance, five Premier League trophies out of their last six. The missing piece has always been the UEFA Champions League. And for what he hasn't done and get being consistent when big games in this tournament come up, he has done in being consistent this year in ways that we have not seen before. It's still a final. And Pep, we've known him to overthink, so we'll see if he overthinks this one. But Mike, I think Mike, that I, let, let me dive in there. Which, which I've, again, this is something I've written about, so I'm intrigued. Which games do you think he he overthought in, and he lost? He lost oh, the game for his team. Which one? Easiest one: Chelsea match. Mm-hmm. You play Any with others? Rodri in that. Um, I'd say the Lyon one. Those are the two mm-hmm. ones that jump out the most against Lyon. You go to a back three when you haven't played a back three most of the season. You put Kyle Walker in a different position where Kyle Walker was one of your best players that season because you're worried about Lyon on the counterattack to nullify their back three. That was number one. again, And then against Chelsea, a season where they played without a striker, Kevin De Bruyne and Fuego getting them to a final. But you don't play Rodri where they had some astronomical winning percentage with Rodri on the pitch. No defensive midfielder. You put Ilkay Gudigan at defensive mid. He becomes less of an attacking threat and you capitulate and lose 1-0. I think you're right with both of them. I also kind of think we tend to maybe overstate that every manager makes adjustments especially for the biggest games because the biggest games are the games where you have to make adjustments you know if it's Chelsea a Chelsea team that by the way had beaten them twice in the preceding month you know, he had to do something different and uh, quite often we we don't necessarily sing the manager's praises certainly sing Guardiola's praises when he um, when he gets things right and it just doesn't we no one notes down all the times that Guardiola's tactical changes have won Champions League games for him um, and I think quite often when you go back and look at it you know, did he choke against Real Madrid last season or did Rodrigo just do something absolutely mad? Did he choke against Tottenham in 2019 or or did VAR just spot, you know, one of those very marginal well, I, I, errors? I, I, to, hit, to hit on the Tottenham match, when it counted most, he admitted Kevin De Bruyne in that match. That's a big no-no. <laughs> there was rotation. They were pushing for different But these things often work. But the, the thing that I find fascinating about this, though, is I think Guardiola has gone from one extreme to the other, because if I recall, certainly some of his exits with Bayern, it was almost like a lack of reactivity. I think one of them, they went out on away goals when Atleti pit them to the final. The other there one, they the, just got there was totally the back blown out by Barcelona. So he's gone for he's gone from sort of that sort of 
inability to check he's, he's sort of fluctuated between changing too much changing too little uh you know and now it's a question of whether he can just you know get the measurement just right because we saw over the two legs in the semi-finals no changes i think in the in the first leg and then the changes only came in when they were home and hosed in the in the second and that sort of strikes me as somebody who has now settled and accepted uh you know what will be his his best his strongest starting 11 uh and you know now he knows who he can count upon uh you know sort of to be the the first ones to answer the call to jump in if uh if needed but also accept that they're probably not going to play uh you know the lion's share of minutes in these big games something very strange going on in the comments because for once vic agrees with me pep approach <laughs> pep's approach has made him more successful we can criticise him, but he knows best. I mean, you know, I, I'm look. My view is managers make mistakes all the time. The difference is this is the Champions League, not a 38 game league season. Those mistakes in a low scoring sport like football, they can make all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. Um, who was it as well? Amy saying Amy Casateras saying don't underestimate Inter Milan, please. Don't you worry, Amy. We're going to let Mike Lahoud off the chain in part two. But for now, let's. I mean, let's assume. Mike, that that Pep runs with the team we we expect him to, Ake and and Walker at fullback, Stone stepping into midfield. What can Inter Milan do to hurt that team? I think it's going to come down to the two wingbacks. We've seen teams that have had success, and I go back to Real Madrid when Bayern Munich when they were on the front foot in the second leg, and at different times in the first leg. Although both teams lost. They had bright spots, and it's going to come down to when they have possession. Look at the play of Kamavinga. Attack-minded fullback. He breaks through the press of City's press. City, whether they're on, you know, no matter where they play, they come to press you. That is a consistent with Manchester City. They're not a low-block sort of team. They are on the front foot. Teams that have broken their press, whether it's having a fullback that can dribble out of the pressure or a midfielder that can get on either side of Rodri or Ilkay Gundogan when they go into a 4-4-2, they have success and they will create chances. The benefit of that is Inter Milan have two strikers who are in fuego. The wide players, whether it's Dumfries or I've totally forgot the other guy's name, but the left fullback, DeMarco. Yes, he's been in fuego as well. But whether those two guys, if they can get into the attack and then play balls, not in the air because City have three aerial center backs who are quite good in the air, but on the ground for a cutback or an early service, I think that's how they can get at them. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's certainly one where, uh, you know, I think a, a lot for me is going to play out in this game in terms of what Inter can offer, sort of in terms of the, the midfield, uh, you know, um, resistance. Because for me, they've been a very balanced team uh, in the middle of the park, but it's so easy to get eaten up by that Manchester City midfield. I mean, you look at what happened to to Bayern Munich when Rodri pulled out that beastly performance in the in the first leg. You know, if he's on that kind of form, it's going to be very difficult for, for Inter to, you know, to really sink their teeth. And you almost wonder if Inzaghi is actually going to try and throw someone like Brozovic in from the start somebody who can uh you know compete you know is a, is a more of a combatant than a than a player but uh certainly for me i think that you know this city machine is so well oiled it's the only way that i can really see Inzaghi even half catching out guardiola really is by maybe uh, changing up his options in attack because if inter change away from this tried and tested for a formula that we'll come to in the second part uh you know, I think that almost plays into Guardiola's hands because Inzaghi would be making the mistakes that we've 
they sort of accused Guardiola of making these last couple of years. So, uh, you know, for me, I think it's just a question, really, of if City can treat this the same way that they treated Bayern, the same way that they treated Real, because if they do, I find it really difficult to imagine Inter being able to pull off the shock. I do like that Brozovic idea, JJ, but I think the, the challenge is that possibly the way that they win this is defending well and getting a set piece and scoring off that. And then can you do that without Chalanolu, one of the best set piece takers in the world? Like, it is really hard for Inter. In the second half, we're going to see if there's any more ideas we've got about what Inter can do, where the key battles might be. Is there any chance that Mike Lahoud will break his Drake curse and see Inter Milan crowned in Istanbul? We'll talk to you a bit more after part two. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's back due to popular demand. UEFA are giving you a chance to win your limited edition UCL Elite Foot 23 kit. Winners will also receive a digital copy of the FIFA 23 video game. Time is running out, so make sure to enter now at uefa.com slash elite. And if you're watching us on YouTube, top right corner, just go and grab it in there. Right, JJ, Romelu Lukaku, the most expensive player, I believe, in terms of combined transfer fees ever in world football. And he's starting to look like a player that that, that title befits, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, it was really encouraging to see him what, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, and he scored that absolute banger from uh, from outside the box. That was sort of vintage, uh, you know, Lukaku finally getting back to his best. It was a, it was a difficult watch to see him at the World Cup uh, in Qatar, you know, sort of devoid of any kind of confidence, any kind of real sort of physical uh, fitness. But he really seems to have, uh, you know, sort of rounded into form at the the perfect moment for Inter. And to be honest, it, it's sort of in the image of, uh, of his team as well, because Inter, you know, we were writing them off, writing Inzaghi off, uh, you know, just sort of, you know, as, as recently as what Easter. And then suddenly, you know, they've they've managed to guarantee a Champions League return, regardless of what happens at the final because of their league position. They've won the Coppa Italia. They're into a Champions League final. Uh, you know, suddenly it's all coming up, uh, you know, roses for, for Inter. And, you know, I think Lukaku uh, and his sort of return to form and fitness, uh, you know, has has definitely played his part in that. I wouldn't say it's all completely down to him, but, you know, it's good to see him getting back to his best after what's been, you know, quite a, a difficult spell. Uh, you know, never easy going back somewhere where you've had great success and then returning for the second time. But, uh, you know, he's uh, he's certainly making a good go of it. I don't think that we'll see sort of this continued uh, in terms of a permanent deal. So this is, you know, might potentially be his last dance with Inter, uh, you know, but I certainly think he's made a success of what looked like it was actually going to be a bit of a flop of uh, a return at first. Mike, here's a question every manager would want posed to them. You've got Lautaro Martinez starting up front. He's been absolutely wonderful. Definite starter, does so much, can play with anyone. Hugely underrated as a footballer, I believe. Who do you put next to him? Big Rom or Edin Dzeko? Edin Dzeko with a point to prove against a Man City team that kind of never really gave him a chance. Edin Dzeko could prove that point on FIFA or some other sort of gaming system because it's got to be Romelu Lukaku. 
Him and Lautaro Martinez, they are rekindling that partnership that led this Inter side to the Scudetto. In their last few matches, what I love about them is they're playing together. Lautaro, when he plays with Jack or whoever he plays with, he can adapt his game. He's malleable, and he he has that sort of versatility where he can be the one who runs in behind. He can hold up the ball, good low center of gravity. But when he plays with Romelu Lukaku, it is the fire and ice. Lukaku is a battering ram who's a damn good player who can hold the ball up and draws a lot of attention, and now that's creating space for Lautaro. Lautaro also brings midfielders in the game, and he can also bring Lukaku. Last Two matches ago, assisted on Lukaku's goal. Lukaku is a striker that feeds on service, and Martinez and the rest of that midfield, they're giving him the service that he needs. Yeah, I'm with you. I would like to see Romelu start, but I also think he, the, the challenge with him is he's maybe more impactful off the bench, especially against tiring legs. I feel like whether it's a Kanji or Ake at left-back City would feel pretty optimistic taking on Lukaku, even if he's getting in those inside right channels he loves so much from the off. But I think, you know, if those legs are starting to tire, I'd love to be able to bring Romelu on. Right, we are, we're sort of coming to the end of our preview. We've got Fabrizio Romano coming up in part three to chat all things transfers. And boy, is there a lot to chat about. But briefly, I think we're all going to go through some of our, our key battles before we get into predictions. And I, I wanted to mention one name that hasn't really been mentioned at all. Actually, two, kind of. We briefly touched on Erling Haaland at the top of the show, but Andre Onana has probably been the best goalkeeper in the Champions League this season. World-class performance after world-class performance. If you haven't seen it yet, go and dig out that game against Porto where he makes those incredible doubles saves. I mean, they could have lost that game 10-0 just in added time alone. Um, Onana is is on fire. Um, Speaking to a few goalkeepers, I've referenced one of them for a piece I'm doing today, you know, he's so light on his feet, so reactive, great down low, I think, especially to his right. Um, but he is a, a, a fast mover. He is going to have a lot of work to do. And I'm sure he would rather be playing in a possession system where he makes three or four saves a game. He has to make possibly eight, nine, ten for Inter Milan to win this game. Can he do it? That, for me, is the is the big challenge. JJ, what about you? Where's, where's this game? What individual battles or duels is this game going to be decided on? Well, I think because we've spent a, a fair bit of time talking about the Inter attack, I'd look at who they're up against. And I think, uh, you know, the the possibility of uh, Diaz going up against uh, Martinez, that for me is, uh, you know, quite mouthwatering because obviously Martinez, uh, you know, if we're, we're talking about the way that you can potentially bring either Dzeko or uh, Lukaku off of the bench. You know, I think uh, Diaz is going to be one of City's main hopes in terms of silencing, uh, you know, Martinez and being able to prevent him from, uh, you know, linking up with either one of those two. I mean, we saw him make some crucial interceptions as well uh, in that game uh, against Real Madrid in the second leg. I know that, uh, you know, Courtois did his best as well to, to, to sort of keep City out, but there were some important interventions at the other end when the scoreline wasn't quite so big. And I think Diaz is, a huge part, the, almost the fulcrum to that uh, to that city defense. Uh, JJ, I love what you're saying, and I raise you this: two of the unsung heroes and consistent performers in the UEFA Champions League, especially as of late, for Manchester City, Ilkay Gundogan. This guy is Mister Dependable. He is Mister On Fire, and he is <laughs> playing the best footy of his career since we've seen him back at Borussia Dortmund when they got to a final in 2013. Love this guy, and then for Inter, it's Nicolo Barella. Been singing this guy's praises. He was their best player in the group stages when Lautaro Martinez was misfiring along with Lukaku. His runs out of midfield are going to be so important to support that front two of Inter. But for Inter Milan, I look at that matchup. The two attack 
for Man City, Kevin De Bruyne and Erling Holland. We saw in the FA Cup final. We've seen it in the Champions League. City have found a plan B so they can play direct when they get pressed. That long ball to Holland, the runs direct in behind for Kevin De Bruyne, that back three for Inter, Damian, and um, I think it's Cherby and Bastoni. They have been solid in the Champions League. They will have to have their best game of their lives to keep De Bruyne and Holland out in terms of how they deal with that late run from De Bruyne. So many great comments coming in from all you guys. Thanks, everyone, for getting involved. So excited to be talking through this match. Time is running out, but let's hear from you guys. Amy Casatera, Inter with the bare defence. Amy, I don't see that. And I have to say, I almost disagree with Daniel as well, who says that I think he's a Man City fan based on his icon, Phil Foden picture. He says, Diaz is our best defender, the leader, all caps. And you know what? It's like... He might be, but so might John Stones, so might Manuel Akanji, or Kyle Akanji, Walker, maybe. or Edison. I mean, I think one of the things that we've we're, we all underrate with City because we get distracted by Haaland and De Bruyne and all that sexiness is is just how phenomenal this defense is at keeping shots from goal. Ed as well, don't sleep on Barella v Rodri, and I mean, yeah, that is a really big one. If anyone can test Rodri with pace, with, with direct running, bursting beyond him. It's Barella, who has been one of the best players in the Champions League this season. Right. Wrapping it up means one thing and one thing alone. And we know what Mike Lahoud is going to say, but let's hear him say it anyway. Michael Lahoud, who mm-hmm. is going to win the Champions League final? What will the score be? And if you're feeling up for it, who's going to score? Ooh, I thought you'd never ask, James. I said it before, and our viewers and everyone watching, I'll say it again. Inter Milan, baby. Look at the hands. Look at the hands. This Inter team there in Fuego, I think Inter does the unthinkable beat City. It is in Istanbul, which is the City of Miracles, the Finals of Miracles. 2005, I want to take you back to the last time we had a final there that was of grand proportions. Goal scorers, I'm I'm picking Nicolo Barella. There's just something about him in that matchup with Rodri, if he can get loose. And I am going one no, I'm going two one into an extra time. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've got I've got both teams to score for sure. I'm just debating whether I can see City running away with it or not. What I think I'll end up doing is going two one City. I think they'll probably have a two goal lead and Inter will get a goal back later on. Uh, it wouldn't have completely stunned me to see it, uh, you know, go to to extra time depending on how Inter start. But if City come flying out of the traps, I think they're going to find it difficult to uh, Inter are going to find it difficult to live with them. So. I think Harlem match winner, um, but I expect uh, Bernardo Silva to to, to chip in with a, a significant uh, contribution as well as he did in the semis. I get a few. I get a few haters on here, don't <laughs> I? Uh, who, who say that I always disregard Serie A and that I've been guilty of of understating the magnificent achievement for Italian football that has been them getting to every. European final and so far being O of two in major European finals. Roma serving up an all-time <laughs> stinker of a performance on and off the pitch. It was a performance that offended me morally, ethically, religiously. Uh, in every way, it was offensive, and they got their just desserts. But is it was it as offensive as putting Parmesan cheese on your seafood pasta? <laughs> oh, I mean, no, no, that is immoral. That is, that is, that, I would have, I can only assume. In certain parts of Italy, 
I mean, certainly, I, I would imagine in Puglia, that's a that's a prison sentence waiting to happen. <laughs> Fiorentina, West Ham. We're gonna we might briefly hit on that in part yep. two, so I won't go too too deep on that part three. Whatever. Um, and yeah, like Inter Milan almost certainly aren't winning this. It's going to take a footballing miracle. And as Mike says, Istanbul is the uh, is a city where miraculous things have happened in this final. But uh, Mike Lahoud also says Inter Milan are going to win, and Mike Lahoud never gets these right. So <laughs> look, I would say this will be a fairly regulation two 0 win for Man City. Uh, Gundogan getting one. Erling Haaland getting the other quite early on. And then I think City will do what they do better than any team in the world and just stifle the game. Make sure that there are 100,000 passes that they complete and Inter never get a chance. So there you have it. Do let us know your prediction in the comments as we go to the break. And please, I can't wait for all the Italian fans to tell me how wrong I'm going to be. Um, after the break, we're going to have Fabrizio Romano join us. We're going to talk Messi, Saudi Arabia, Declan Rice, all sorts. See you after the break. Saturday on CBS, one of the most celebrated soccer tournaments in the world is down to two clubs. Manchester City meets Inter in the UEFA Champions League final. Our world-class team will be on the pitch with live coverage beginning Saturday at 1.30 Eastern on CBS and Paramount+. Plus. You might have heard about this game. We may have discussed it briefly over the preceding 28 minutes. Fab will be with us very soon, but before we do that, Couple of thoughts on West Ham United, European champions. Michael, who did you watch the game? What did you make of West yeah. Ham and their brilliant win? It was the David Moyes of all David Moyes sort of games. West Ham, it wasn't the prettiest win mm. I've seen, but it mm. does not matter in a final. Set pieces, man. Off a of throw-in and throw-ins, they were the one thing that Fiorentina looked like they scouted and got completely wrong. Antonio, what he didn't do in terms of sorting his feet out in the box, he did in terms of being a presence. And the penalty kick, I thought, was a bit harsh, but by the letter of the law, was a penalty kick. The referee got that one right. But Jared Bowen, congrats to him. Non-league footballer, I don't even know how many years ago, but not too long ago, to then be the match winner, to then be a European champion now. Really happy for the likes of them, and also Declan Rice. And Fiorentina, if you, if you do anything but just not get that last part wrong, which is a big if. If you don't get flat caught flat-footed, then maybe we're talking about a Fiorentina win. But in the end, West Ham, they got two moments right when it mattered most, and they won. That they did. Bowen is on fire, and I cannot repeat the remainder of that chant. But suffice to say, anyone who watches UK Love Island will know what I'm talking about. Right. We have the man, the myth himself, Fabrizio Romano, is here. I think he'll be with us. Here we go. Here's Fabrizio. Hello. Guys. Hello. Fab, uh, how exhausted are you after yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> I slept like three hours, four hours last night. It's crazy, crazy day, really. Everything so, at the same moment. Golocante, Jude Bellingham, Leo Messi, so <laughs> crazy day. It was everything at once, but I mean, obviously we have to start with, with Leo Messi to into Miami. Just, just talk us through maybe just the sort of process of following this story. It's been one with, with an awful lot of twists and turns. I know that in December... We've heard some stories in April, PSG maybe exited the race. Maybe a week or two ago, Saudi, and you know, I can talk about this, but Saudi sources were very confident. Talk, talk me through kind of how this story developed for you over the last 48, 72 hours. Yeah, and beyond. it's been crazy. Because as you mentioned, it was in December when uh, right before the Champions League, uh, sorry, the World Cup final, 
Leo Messi met uh, with, uh, with Paris Saint-Germain and they had kind of verbal agreement to continue together. It was like, okay, let's meet in January, in February and sign a new deal. So everything was ready. Then everything changed after the uh, Bayern clash in the Champions League for, uh, for Paris Saint-Germain. Then in April, Jorge Messi communicated to PSG that he was ready to consider different proposals and to leave Paris Saint-Germain. And then we enter into the final part of this story that has been really, really crazy. As you mentioned, from Saudi, they were really confident because that proposal presented at the beginning of April uh, more than 400 million euros net per season plus commercial deals, also almost 1 billion per two years, something really impressive for Leo Messi. And they were very confident. Uh, so they were preparing everything for Leo Messi arrival this week in Saudi. The jets were, were on the runway were in, yeah. in Paris, in Barcelona, ready to yeah. take them. <laughs> yeah, so they were, they were very ready. And uh, and Barcelona, they, they really tried. They tried till the last minute because they were trying to be creative. But Leo Messi, as he mentioned yesterday in the interview with the Spanish press, he didn't have any intention to make again what happened two years ago, to arrive in August with no guarantees to be signed or registered with, with La Liga, with the financial fair play issues. And so what happened is that I think Inter Miami have been perfect in their strategy. The most quiet club in this story. Very serious, very quiet, working behind the scenes, always telling Leo, don't worry, if it's not going to be this summer, it can be next summer, we wait for you. So they presented this very serious project. They didn't push too much on the press. And then, at the right moment, they attacked the situation with an official bid presented last week, uh, confirmed in the final part of the of the details. And then it was the perfect strategy to convince Leo Messi. So really unexpected, I have to say. Not in the last two, three days, but I would say in the last two, three months, we were not expecting Leo Messi to go to Inter Miami. And so their strategy has been really smart, I would say. Oh, fab. I've got my MLS uh, sweatshirt, got the wrong logo, <laughs> don't even know what side. I'm so excited right now. This is a big win for MLS and a big win for Inter Miami. For those of our viewers who are just catching up to speed with just the announcement, what are some key cogs in the deal? Because this is a landmark move, something Major League Soccer has not seen since David Beckham. Yeah, and this includes a lot, lot of stories. We will enter into it in the next weeks because it will become more clear, but it's about marketing deals around Leo Messi. And of course, uh, he will be part of the future project of the club. This is not just a deal to play football. This is also to plan for the future of the club together, of course, with the owners, with the board. Uh, I think now Leo Messi is already trying to bring some players who are their big friends, like Sergio Busquets, Angel Di Maria has been contacted to in the last 24 hours. So they are trying to tempt some players to, to join Inter Miami and to plan for the future of the club in terms of how rebuilding this club and how uh, changing the history of MLS because this deal, as you mentioned, is going to change the world movement uh, history and not just Inter-Miami. And uh, let me mention one thing about the contract. The contract is going to be a three-year deal for Leo Messi. Every single year, he will have the possibility with an exit clause to leave the club in case he wants, in case he changes his mind. But the reality is that it's a three-year deal. So, we will enter into more details in the next few days as they are already they've already signed the contract, but they are working on the commercial side of the story. But mm, I agree with you, this is historical. Well, there's hope for Barcelona yet then to get that romantic reunion <laughs> with Messi somewhere down the line. But Fab, uh, something interesting cropped up after Messi to, to Miami was confirmed, and that's the rumors of Barcelona maybe switching their sights to, to Neymar. I think I've seen quotes as well of Xavi saying, as much as he and, and guys at Barca hold Neymar in high regard, that's not something they're necessarily thinking of. You're able to shed some light on uh, you know Barcelona's potential interest because we have seen in the past that Barca were interested in trying to bring Neymar back from PSG. That obviously died away with some of the financial problems. Has this changed that at all? Or are Barca looking to a future now without Messi, but also without Neymar? 
No, I think we have this rumor because a few days ago we had some pictures of uh, Juan Laporta, Barcelona president, together with Pini Zahavi, the agent of uh, Neymar. They share a fantastic relationship since a long time. So this is why I think we have this kind of stories. But the reality at the moment is what Xavi said today. So they are not working to uh, to bring Neymar back. Barcelona have different ideas, different targets. Also, for Xavi, it's important to clarify what's going to happen with some of the wingers they already have at the club because they want to bring in a new winger. Of course, the plan was to bring uh, Leo Messi, not a proper winger now, but they wanted that kind of player. Now they have to clarify what happens with Ferran Torres, what happens with Ansu Fati, because I think one of these two players will leave the club in the summer and Xavi will communicate directly to both of them to clarify the situation. I think Ansu Fati has more chances to leave Barcelona. This is what they're trying to do. And then Rafinha. Around Rafinha, we heard many rumors in the last few weeks. Again, Newcastle, uh, mentioning Chelsea again. But I'm told that Xavi is really obsessed with keeping Rafinha at the club. So he wants Rafinha to play football in Barcelona for one more season and then maybe see next summer what, uh, what happens. So this is very busy for Barcelona and I think Neymar is not a priority now. They want to sign players in that position. But Xavi mentioned an important thing today. He wants new midfielders. The crucial part is about midfielders, a new pivot. And I think the priority for Barca will be to invest in that position. Very interesting. Not least, this, this whole story has kind of really taken a bit of attention away from what for a while felt like not just the biggest story in this transfer window, but one of the biggest we've seen in, in football for a long time, which is Saudi Arabia's sudden emergence as a as a country that will pay exorbitant wages. I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo leading the way um, and now Piff in London, in Paris, with what seems like a big suitcase of 100 million euro notes and 100 million euro contracts, handing them out to anyone. Now that they've missed out on Messi, what do you see as being their their pivot plan? Uh, I'm sure we can exchange some notes in this regard because I know we're both <laughs> yeah, hearing a yeah. few things. Yeah, 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 James, you're very well informed, so you can you can help me on this one, but I'm sure they will not stop. Eh? I'm sure they will mm. not stop. They are already working to sign some some big stars. They contacted Ilhai Gundogan from Manchester City. I think it's going to be difficult. Uh, they're speaking to Roberto Firmino. They're speaking to very many players. And then a name that you, James, mentioned yesterday, which is obviously correct, but is Riyad Mahrez. I think this is very concrete interest in terms of club side. Today I was speaking with some City sources and they told me we don't know anything about this because they didn't approach us. At the moment, we don't have any kind of contact. But if they want Rihan Mares, they have to put some serious money uh, for us. It's not just about signing the player for free. So it is not always easy process. But I feel that Saudi will insist and insist in the next weeks for many important players. It's not over at all. Yes. I mean, the Mares stuff is very interesting. I actually had an update on this about while we were on air. Um, that these talks have, have really gone on quite a lot with Mares' representatives and the president of Al-Ali. And there's optimism from the Al-Ali side that, that they can get this deal done as you say Fab you know Mares and City are in Champions League final mode yeah. so whilst there's optimism it's really going to take a little while for, for it to become clear whether Mares wants to make that move and we know as you know we know in the football industry that, that whether people want to make that move can just depend on whether they come out on Sunday morning Saturday night in Istanbul yeah. with a winner's medal on them or not whether they feel like they're done at Man City or not dive into the comments as ever, Fab, there's so many f- questions for you. Aaron here, massive breaking news out of Arsenal, now imminent in bidding for Rice. Is it true that Arsenal are pe- preparing around £92 million? Also, will Arsenal be able to aim for Caicedo as well now the price is set? Well, I mean, what The price for Caicedo is well over £70 million, isn't it? Especially as they had to give Liverpool a bit of a discount on McAllister. I think for Caicedo it will be around £80 million. 
pounds. So this is the idea. Uh, this is because, from what I'm told, Roberto De Zerbi, um, right after the January transfer window, spoke directly to the player, like telling him, okay, extend the contract, because it's also deserved for you to have a different kind of salary. After Arsenal had to be rejected, 60 million pounds guaranteed fee and 70 million pounds with the don'ts included, and Brighton always said no. So the message was like, okay, extend the contract, but we are prepared to let it go in the summer in case we will receive bit more than this. So this was the idea between the Zerbi and Caicedo. And this is why I think there will be a serious possibility for the player to leave. My understanding is that Caicedo is expecting a move this summer. So uh, he feels he's ready to go to, to a top club and, and make his move. So the idea is to, is to go and I'm sure Arsenal are interested, but I always mention Chelsea when it's about Caicedo because they want Caicedo. They are in the race for Caicedo. They are speaking to people close to Caicedo. So Chelsea are absolutely into They the have no midfielders. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> then... And then we have to see what happens with Declan Rice. Of course, I think now the priority for Arsenal is Declan Rice. For Caicedo, they are okay. They are around. They are speaking to people because they want to be informed of the conditions and everything. But the priority is Declan Rice. Arsenal will be in the next days. They will have a direct conversations with West Ham. They are confident because they feel the player wants to stay in England. This is an important point. I really hope for Arsenal and for Arsenal fans that this time they have a very big target. They can be fast in the negotiations because last time it happened with Mudrik it was a very long negotiation and then another club can jump in and hijack the deal as we saw with Chelsea uh, with Gabriel Jesus they signed Gabriel Jesus but it was in danger till the last minute because Tottenham and Chelsea tried to enter the race in the final hours of the deal this time for Declan Rice they have kind of match point because they've been very good in working on this since January end of January now they have to close this deal. So it's about making the bid and reaching an agreement with West Ham because the player is keen on the move. So let's see how this will evolve, but they expect Arsenal to bid for Declan Rice very soon. Yeah, and very important to say, you know, he Declan really likes the idea, not just of, of joining Arsenal because it's a great footballing project, but, you know, we remember he's, he's a young guy with a young family. They would like to stay in London, all yeah. things being told. So, But as Fab says... It's really in Arsenal's interest to get this done quickly. You know, there's the takeover saga at yeah. United. We will see what happens. If Ilkay Gundogan did leave City, for instance, mm. they'll need a new midfielder. Yeah. So there are a fair few factors there that mean Arsenal need to do this quite quickly. I right? think in that case will be Mateo Kovacic. Oh, of course, yes. Yeah, yeah. Forget. Yeah. For, I forgot about him. Fab, <laughs> one, and James, you said it, one of the blockbuster moves this summer overshadowed because of the messy news, Jude Bellingham to Real Madrid, sticking with English midfielders. What does this mean, What does this move mean for Real Madrid? Because there's still a need for a striker amongst other positions, no? Yeah, they need a striker and they will sign a striker for sure. Striker and a backup striker. So replacement for Benzema, but also for Mariano Diaz. So I see Real Madrid signing two strikers this summer. But for Jude Bellingham, for them, it was something completely separated. They wanted Jude Bellingham. They had a feeling that they had this chance to make it happen this summer. And they felt like now or never, because they knew that Liverpool, Man City, all the English clubs were uh, absolutely interested in, uh, in Jude Bellingham. So they had to be very fast on this deal. And they've been perfect, let me say, because in April they convinced the player. Then they were very relaxed and respectful in the negotiations with Borussia Dortmund as they were in a title race. And now the deal, is, the deal is done. But for Real Madrid, this was a priority. They wanted to create the midfield of the future. And they did, honestly, because they have Fede Valverde. They have Eduardo Camavinga, who's playing fantastic as a left back. But he's a midfielder. They have Aurelien who is 100% part of the project there, and now also Jude Bellingham, including Toni Kroos and Luka Modric for next season. But the future is there, and this is something that for Real Madrid is always crucial, to sign top players when you have the opportunity. So for Bellingham, they didn't have any, any doubt. It was not about the striker, Benzema. It was Bellingham, and then all the other signings. Just want to 
pick your brains on one last topic, Fab, that combines a bit of uh, Premier League and a bit of La Liga. Now, Aston Villa, I know that I'm, I'm biased in trying to crowbar them into this conversation, but there's been a lot of interesting uh, activity going on since Villa booked their place in Europe. We saw them try to go in for Asensio, got beaten to his signature by PSG, obviously and understandably. Uh, but there's rumours now surfacing regarding uh, Monchi potentially leaving Sevilla with some interest coming from Aston Villa. Potores as well, his name has been linked and I know that we've seen him uh, sort of crop up many a transfer window for the last couple of years. Uh, I'm Eric Laporte as well. I was just wondering if you can potentially shine a little bit of light on any of those rumours for, for me, please. Yeah, for, for Monchi, is a possibility. It's a concrete possibility. Let's wait for uh, conversations to happen in the next days between Aston Villa and, and Monchi, but it's true that he wants to leave Sevilla. Uh, he feels that now it's time to go to try different kind of experience after he made history again at, uh, at Sevilla. So um, Aston Villa is a concrete possibility. Unai Emery has a very good relationship with Monchi and they will speak about that in the next days. So this is concrete. Then for, for the player side, as you mentioned, Asensio was a target. They presented the proposal to Marco Asensio, but then PSG arrived with 10 million euros net per season to Marco Asensio. And this it was absolutely impossible to, to match for, uh, for Aston Villa. Then uh, Pau Torres is a name in the list, for sure. It's true that they appreciate Pau Torres. Unai Emery, of course, knows him very well. And let me include one more name. Uh, more than Laporte, I think for Laporte, the situation will be clear next week because now Man City don't want any kind of distraction. So I think in general about Emery Laporte, we will understand next week what kind of plan they have. I would not be surprised to see him leaving the club. Um, but let me mention also Jolo Celso, the midfielder who is returning to Tottenham from, from Villarreal loan. He's a player that Unai Emery, again, knows very well, big fan of the player. And Jolo Celso would love to work again under uh, Unai Emery. So there could be a conversation between Aston Villa and Tottenham. We wait to understand the situation with Postecoglou because now Tottenham have a new coach and they have to decide together on all these players. But Pau Torres, Lo Celso, they have some targets and I'm sure that Aston Villa will do an important market. They want to show how they are committed to this project with, uh, with Unai Emery. And let's say if Monchi will arrive, I think this will be a very good news for Villa fans. Right, Fab, we need to let you go back. I'm certain your WhatsApp notifications are into triple figures while you've been with us. Fab, thank you so much for joining. Thank you, thank you. Thank and, you guys. Uh, See you soon. Thanks, Fab. Right, I think that is about it, unless anyone has anything else they'd like to share with the class. Mike LaHood, we're looking forward. Are we hyped? Are we, are we more hyped for the end of the season or the, the final showdown? Probably more hyped for the end of the season. Uh, I will, you know, it's been a long season, lots breaking storylines. We put so much work into this season. I mean, we, we even came off the world cup break and didn't really have a break. Can't wait for this final though. I'm telling you folks, come with me. The Drake curse is going to be broken. I'm feeling it. Inter are going to win. I hope. JJ, you buying any of that nonsense? No, and also I don't think it's uh, off season for for Mike Lahoud. MLS continues right <laughs> well into the summer. Well into the summer it's, months. It's just cooking. It's just cooking <laughs> over here. Exactly. <laughs> so sizzling, sizzling away on the barbecue there. No, I mean I, th I think we're all when we get to this stage of the season. You know, you have those conflicting emotions where you're really yeah. pumped up for for the big games like this. You know, the cup finals, but equally, you know approaching burnout from everything that's gone on in the months before to lead us up to that moment. So yeah, sort of mixed emotions as always, but uh, certainly got my fingers crossed that we have, uh, you know, one final flourish of, uh, of brilliant football before European club football says goodbye for the summer. I'm not sick and tired of it. I'm not mixed emotions at all. I'm sick and tired of it. Let's get it done. It's cricket season guys. Come on. Got an ashes to win.
<laughs> got pim- right. pims to drink in the garden. Pims to drink. <laughs> I and mean, Wimbledon is right around the corner. I can scarcely oh, wait. It's geez. the best time of the year. That's brilliant. Brilliant. Best I know who I'm coming to visit in London. Yeah. Yes. And House of Champions, a CBS sports tennis podcast, will be launching very soon. Uh, in the meantime, thanks so much for listening to House of Champions, the soccer version. Please take a minute to leave us a rating and review on your favourite podcast platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcast, we're there. We're also available on YouTube. Subscribe to us over there. And we will be back very soon, breaking down the Champions League final and recapping the season that it has been, this gruelling but thrilling season. Thanks to Mike Lahood and Jonathan Johnson for joining me. I've been James Benj. You've been watching House of Champions. Thanks so much. And we will speak to you again very soon. Bye-bye.